When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The dream is made real. Ricky Howard rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. Uh. Welcome back to BTR Boxing Podcast Network. I am your host, Sean. As always, joined by Johnston for the big fight reaction. Anthony Joshua stops Robert Hellenius in seven rounds. And the aftermath of that particular fight was a very strange aftermath. And we are, of course, going to be speaking about it on this episode. Not forgetting about why that fight happened in the first place with Dillian White failing a drugs test. Of course, we waited until you were back on the pod, Johnston, to be able to discuss this conversation and discuss what had happened there. But we're also going to talk about some of the fights on the undercard. And of course, the Mexican war that was Emmanuel Navarrete and Oscar Valdez. And it feels a little bit in vain that we did that original episode, Johnston. And then because of the change, because of Dillian White, I had to re-record it separately on my own, on my mobile phone. Didn't sound as good quality because I'm a bit of an audiophobe now with doing the podcast. But ultimately, what we saw was kind of what we expected in the Anthony Joshua Robert Hellenius fight. And I think the big talking points from it all were really, again, his antics outside of the ring, his demeanour in post-fight interviews, the way he reacts to things now. I think that's more... It feels more of a topic than the actual fight itself, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's there's something... I don't know what it is with Joshua at the minute. Um, he seems a bit touchy, doesn't he? Um, you ask him a question and he he sort of... He bites back at it. I'm not quite sure what, what, what's, what's going on with him. And he, he was... I mean, the one that I do listen to talk sport on a regular basis. I'm sure many of our listeners do for those that live over here and... It was mentioned on there recently about how uh, he feels that he gets a bad treatment, I suppose, or he gets spoken negatively about more than Tyson Fury. And there's, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I listen to the show all the time, for instance, and I, I know this is, we're doing our own show here, but it's just interesting because that came, that sort of came back before the fight. And, um, and I don't see that. I don't sense that. Not for me personally. I think jo- I think Fury and Joshua, I think they both get their credit and they both get their negativity when it's needed. 
And I just feel that there's always got to be negativity when it surrounds Anthony Joshua. Look, no one's going to be happy with the fact that Robert Hellanius was a, a late replacement for Dillian White after he fouled his drugs test. Um, but you've got to give credit to him. The fact that they found someone that would a, a credible enough fighter. Who else was there really in terms of, right, there were other people on the card and the card needed to be saved because... The, the, as the card goes down, I mean, everyone looks at the main event and the main attraction. They're like, well, why didn't Joshua could have got this? Ruiz put himself forward and he, you know, he put himself forward on social media. It, they were in a no-win situation, whoever they pulled out of their ass, to be honest with you. And credit to him, they found an opponent. And credit to Hellanius for stepping in at such short notice. And the fact is, he fought only like a week ago, didn't he, Sean? I know you said it on the pod, but yeah, you know, it was a no-win. He had to fight someone, and you look down that card, there are guys that hadn't who hadn't fought that night. If they hadn't have fought that night, they wouldn't have got paid. So I think that's the one thing, that the card was saved. They were able to get those guys, get their money, and uh, that, that's a good thing. And I think people just look at the main event and think, oh, well, Robert Alanius is useless. What's the point? This is ridiculous, you know. I look, it's, there's so many questions with this, Sean, in terms of, you know, the length of time that they believe they were told about White and, and when he apparently fouled the test, when was the test taken? Is And then Joshua's antics after the ring and how touchy he is. And look, people are not going to really credit his performance because he was a bit negative, wasn't he, Sean? He was. I think he, I think he felt like he could have pulled the trigger on that fight yeah anytime i was gonna say it anytime and it felt like we can sit here johnston and we can theorize about what he was doing in there we're not gonna truly know and he's not gonna be truly transparent about what was going on in the ring but watching from the outside it felt like he was very very tentative about what he was doing it felt like at times there was an element of uncertainty about what he was doing like he was uncertain about what he was doing like people might say he was a little bit gun shy and he could have ended the fight sooner and I agree with some of those comments because I do feel three four rounds into the fight he he could have done that and he didn't and it took him seven rounds to do it now you can sit there and make your comparisons about the Wilder fight and say oh well Wilder destroyed him in one round Hellenius came out and gave Wilder the opportunity to do that in one round. Whereas Joshua didn't start like Wilder does. And it's a reason why a lot of people think now, at this stage of Joshua's career, people think now Wilder would beat Joshua. Whereas if you think about three or four years before, when they were talking about this big 50 million showdown between the pair, people were tipping Anthony Joshua at that point of his career because he his confidence was sky high. He had none of the adversity in his career and then since that point he's overcome three losses in his career Ruiz and Usyk twice and his antics and and his well-being seemingly seems to have been affected by it and whilst he might sit there and say oh no I'm absolutely fine this is just me being me part of you sits there and feel that there's definitely something underlying and going on and there's I see a fellow fellow media journalist I see ex-professional fighters saying very similar things to what we say on these episodes so if we're seeing it and they're seeing it then you know we can't all be completely wrong can we there's there's definitely an element of looking at the way he acts and interacts with people and the way you said he's very snappy in interviews and short and abrupt and then I didn't understand the antics as soon as the fight was over 
he gets out of the ring and does a lap of the ring. Conor McGregor's throwing some stout down his neck at the same time. And, you know, he's celebrating. And it took Eddie Earn to tell him to go and check on Hellenius as an act of sportsmanship and, and, and humanity for him to go out there and actually check on Hellenius, which I thought, what what was all that about? I didn't understand it. It was quite concerning, to be honest with you. It was quite concerning that, that he's gone from this guy who's very sportsmanlike and, you know, very respectful to a guy that now seemingly has lost all levels of that respect. And he just doesn't seem to give a shit anymore now. And it's just like, you know what? I'll do whatever I want. I'll say whatever I want. And it sometimes feels like a walking PR disaster. Yeah, I think he's trying to be the bad guy. He's He's got a different route. So it's like when you watch, uh, we used to watch, I, I used to watch WWF, WWE um, is as alien to me, but WWF was was my go-to as a child. You know, obviously boxing was was a love of mine as well, but WWF was always one. And you always have the baddie and the goodie, and then you'll have a change, and you? you'll have the goodie, all of a sudden becomes a baddie. And it almost feels like he was doing that. Even before the fight with Hellenius, I felt like he was trying to be the villain, maybe to, you know, for people to subscribe to Desire to watch that fight, to see maybe want Anthony Joshua to get knocked out. So maybe that's the angle he's looking at. Maybe he's looking at it as, you know what, I'm going to be a bit more of the baddie now. I'm not going to be this clean-cut heavyweight that does what many people expect him to do. It's, 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 a, you know, it's a risky one because you lose fans. But then on, on the on the flip side of it, I mean, Ali was was the, 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 the man of it, wasn't he? He was the absolute class of being able to promote fights in a way that people would put bums on seats and pay for tickets to watch him get knocked out. So maybe he's looking at that, looking at going that route. Um, who knows? But then there are times where you just think, oh, yeah, it doesn't suit you. It doesn't. And and you're right. I mean, how many times have you seen guys get absolutely rendered that way? And, you know, most of the time, most fighters tend to realise that this is a sport. This, you know, you don't play boxing, it's a sport. And if someone's really hurt then you just subdue your celebrations at first yes that initial i've got the knockout the referee's counting you can understand the relief of the fighter and reacting to the situation but then once you realize you've won the fight and the guy's in a bit of trouble let's just settle down a little bit let's wait to make sure he's okay and then you can celebrate again and i think that I mean, if anyone's great at doing that, it used to be the likes of Golovkin, who was always brilliant. And Canelo, to his credit, is very much the same way when he's flawed people. We will take his time before celebrating. And and I just think that just shows a little bit more, uh, like you say, it is a sport and it is a bit more sportsman-like, whereas Anthony Joshua was acting like a, what would a Triple H celebration? I don't know what the hell that was. Uh, it's funny when you look at it now, but you, you know, in retrospect, you look at you think, God, you look like an absolute moron. And even I said it before when I was watching the All Access stuff with with Crawford and Spence. And when he was on there, I was like, oh, I couldn't wait for him to get off my screen, to be honest with you. He sounded like an absolute wally. And I, maybe maybe it is the fact that he maybe he's taking a few too many whacks to the head shot. Maybe that is it. Maybe the, you know, we do our career profiles all the time and you see the changes within people. It's either him being trying to transfer himself into a bit more of a villain or like deliberately, or he's maybe taking a few many whacks to the head and the one, there was one thing he did say, Sean, is that he suggested that he's looking to get out quite quickly at some point. He didn't suggest to me that he's going to be in a guy that's going to be around for the long run. I think he's looking at Wilder, he's looking at Fury, and that's the end game for him. And I think he's, he bows out of the ring. 
And do you know, do you know what? If he does do that, and he loses to both, or he beats one and loses to the other, then he will still go down as one of our best British heavyweights because what he has done has been tremendous. And I think that's one thing he probably gets annoyed with, Sean, is there's a lot of bad publicity because of the stupid things he does. And he's not quite getting the respect that he deserves because he's done great things. He has. And, you know, just looking at the Charles Martin win, for instance, you know, a lot of people just chuck Charles Martin away and said, oh, who was he? He was a body. But yet, now they give Anderson credit for going a distance with him. So, you know, in as time's worn on, that's actually looked like a really good win. He's done tremendous things. He's a two, you know, he's come back and retained the title. You know, if he does it again a third time, he's out there with some of the greats, the greats. So, look, I think maybe sometimes we just need to applaud him for what he's done. But sometimes it does stupid things, Sean. You can't help but think, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to be honest. I'm not here to bash on him completely. I mean, some no, of the stuff, some of the stuff that he's done is a bit weird. I'm not going to lie. It just seems strange. Him becoming a heel is what you were referring to in wrestling terms. A heel. Yes, that's the one, the heel. So he's going from a face to a heel. That is a strong possibility. That seems more logical that actually he's got to the point where he's sick of being the clean-cut boxer and the perception of him in his mind needs to change. And, and as, he, as he's coming towards that end goal of his career... Maybe he just don't give a shit now, and he's like, "Look, you know, I've done the I've done the PR stuff for many, many years, and I've been the clean cut boxer. And no matter whether I'm a good guy or no matter whether I play a villain, people are always going to hate on me. I'll find a reason to hate on me, and that's understandable. But I cannot take away anything that he's achieved in this sport. Is he going to turn fans off by continuing to act this way? Absolutely, absolutely. People are going to turn around and go, Do you know what? I really liked the old Anthony Joshua. I don't really like this Anthony Joshua now. And that's naturally going to happen. It does happen. We've seen it with other fighters before. It happens. And maybe the theory that you're saying, Johnston, regarding him becoming a heel and a villain in boxing is the way of him making sure that over these last couple of fights that he has left in his career, that he does decide to go down that route to put as many bums in seats and sell as many pay-per-views as possible so that when he does retire from boxing, you know, he's probably already financially set for life, but he makes sure that he's absolutely 100% all good with his finances. So, you know, I hope it is that, and I hope it is nothing underlying. I hope there isn't any mental health issues going on, which a lot of people have suggested. It, some of it does scream out that way, but we just don't truly know, and, and hopefully it won't be that, and it will be him just trying to put on a persona, a different persona than what people are used to, and that when we get to see the next couple of fights for Joshua, you know, maybe he's a bit more vindictive in the ring and actually it somehow wins people over, you know, by by being that way in, in a strange way. Like, people are now looking at him and going, well, he's being a bit gun-shy he's, he's not the same Joshua he once was. And he goes in there and, and people now are expecting him to lose to Wilder. And if he goes in there and absolutely blasts Wilder out, He's going to win people over again. And it is a strange sport. And it's a, such a fickle sport to be a fan of because someone can change your opinion of them so quickly in just a matter of a few words or a few sentences or from their actions or lack of actions in the ring. It is is crazy. But we'll just have to wait now and see how these final years play out in Anthony Joshua's boxing career. His performance, going back to that again, I felt it was a little bit hesitant and tentative at times, but he was looking for that right hand in a couple of those rounds, and when he eventually got it on the money, he put down Hellenius, and it was over. Yeah. The fight was over. So 
you know, you, we know he can hurt fighters. We know he can hurt any fighter in the world. And it makes the Deontay Wilder fight even more exciting in my eyes now because we know Joshua can be beaten. We know he can be put on his ass. We know he can be knocked out. And we also know Deontay Wilder can. And we know both of them in what people might say are damaged fighters now in that sense that they've they've had those beatings before because both of them have suffered them at the hands of different fighters in the heavyweight division. So these two going at it in January, is, which is what they're proposing, it's exciting because you just don't know what's going to happen. It, I think it's going to be one of those fights where it's uh, a blink and you'll miss something fight. And I don't think it's going to go very long. I'd be very surprised because I can't see Deontay Wilder wanting it to go the rounds. And I can't really see Joshua being able to completely hold him off for, for many rounds in this fight. So it makes it a, a really exciting potential heavyweight fight in this division. So I am looking forward to the prospects of Joshua Wilder in January. And it, it really bodes well for, for the heavyweight division when we're not getting certain fights that we want to see this is a fight we wanted to see a few years ago okay we're going to get it a little bit later but does it make it more exciting because both of these are now essentially damaged guys yeah absolutely they might they've both shown their flaws they're both vulnerable whereas before they were both undefeated and it yeah it, you didn't know what to expect how much of a punch did Wilder really have? Because, you know, the fact of the matter was, yes, he was flooring people concussively, but his CV was very limited, very shallow, in my opinion. Whereas Anthony Joshua had the better CV. He had fought the better fighters. Wasn't quite as concussive with, with his one-punch knockouts, but what he does have is an unbelievable ability that when he gets on the inside to throw them combinations, which is what we missed, Sean, haven't we? We've missed it. We've missed that Anthony Joshua. He's not really a guy that's going to floor you one punch. Yes, he did it with Hellenius, and I did expect it to be sooner, and I think he could have done. And maybe he has, in a way, that he was a bit dangerous because in, in the other thought in my head was maybe he's doing this because he wants that wilder fight and he wants to prolong it, and then people will make the comparisons with what Wilder did to Hellenius and what Joshua did to Hellenius, and it may even play the card where Wilders goes oh actually yeah Wilders team will go oh definitely fight Joshua because Joshua's got flaws like Frank Warren said he called him boring and he's one to talk because I mean Tyson Fury at times put me to sleep so you know, <laughs> you know they've all got their flaws let's be honest so um, uh, maybe that is what it is maybe he was just playing that dangerous game where he's like I'm going to prolong the fight I'm going to get some rounds in and I'm going to knock him out which is a dangerous thing to do and if that, I hope that is the case, because if that is the case, then Joshua, in a way, is back to old. But yeah, I don't know, Sean. I, I, one thing I look at is who's going to play the hill then uh, between Wilder and <laughs> and Joshua. That's going to be an interesting one. Who's going to be the good? Who's going to be the baddie? Uh, and they're both going to be bad. And then everyone's going to just be tuning in to watch. Can't wait for someone to get knocked out. But you're right. It is one of those blinking your missing moments because, you know, if... If Wilder nails Joshua at any point in that fight, you can't really see Joshua managing to get himself back to his feet and have the powers of recovery that Tyson Fury has. And then on the flip side, if he can keep away from Wilder and he can land one and then land a few combinations, then Wilder's in a world of trouble, but probably a bit later on in the fight. But I say later on. I mean, these two, if they survive past seven, they're going to be absolutely shattered 
smashing each other to bits, leaving themselves open, and then you sort of still favour Wilder. Wilder goes in as a huge favourite for me because of the power, but there's so many flaws in him that Joshua could exploit. But it's weird because I do, you're right, Sean, a few years ago, I probably would have expected Joshua to go in there and do a job on Wilder because I felt that he had more confidence and he could have got the job done. I'm not so sure now. I, I, I favour Wilder much more than I do Joshua, but it's a good fight. And it's a fight I've always wanted to see. And I hope they both get knocked down and then someone eventually finally finds a knockout blow and then they want to do it again because um, that's only good for the heavyweight game, isn't it? Exactly. Well, speaking of heavyweight game, we didn't have the opportunity to address the Dillian White situation because we'd actually recorded the episode, uh, I think it was two days prior to the news of Dillian White testing positive for uh, a, a, well, a failed test. I think it was the Varda one, weren't it, if I remember rightly off the top of my head or... Um, and and th and then obviously that kind of threw a spanner in our works a little bit. So it obviously gave me the opportunity to then re-record an episode solely to be able to at least cover the fight. So we didn't get a chance to really speak about it. And this is why I said to our listeners, to you guys on the episode I did on the preview, it's like, look, we'll wait till you're back, Johnston, to have this conversation because that's starting to that's starting to go as a bit of a background thing now because of the whole Joshua fight and the performance or what people think about that and what people think about the future people are forgetting you know I don't think everyone's forgetting but I think people generally just seem to forget like why was this happening in the first place because Dillian White failed yet another drugs test and it is absolutely ridiculous that he's done it again and now how many chances do you give a fighter now He's now got to go and prove his innocence, as, as that's what he said. You know, that's the only thing he's come out and said, is he's going to prove his innocence. And right, okay, you're, you've got the opportunity to do it, but it's not the first trip round the block for D Dillian White in this situation. And now you start to genuinely believe that, look, he's done it once. Okay, you can come up with whatever excuses you can, whatever medical science results you can, and say, actually, it was a mistake, it was a contaminated sample, whatever, whatever you want to say. But to happen again in such a big fight for him is he's just poor he's really poor and again like we said about Conor Ben I'm not asked what excuses come out now what reasons come out now contaminated meat contaminated eggs too many eggs whatever it is this is not the first time it's happened so I, I honestly think his career is over now at the top level I, I think if he comes back to boxing is he really going to be able to get another fight like a Joshua fight? That that was his chance. And we said that in our originally recorded episode, that this was like a last chance saloon for the both of them, really, and in some senses. But how is Dillian White ever going to come back to the top level of boxing now? It's a good question. The first time he was caught, I mean, he doesn't talk about it too much. He did when he first started. I mean, the first Joshua fight, in fact, was when I had found out that he had been banned for doping and, and he openly admitted he had made a mistake. And I liked that about him. I thought, in a way, I was like, you cheating bastard, but at least he's admitted it and he's coming back now. So you you would just expect him to have learned from that mistake. And then you add it again where he had the A sample that was positive and then the, the B sample come back negative. Now, that's the same sample, so I'm not quite sure what happened now. So you sort of give him a leeway because, you know, it's the same sample. You know, they're just splitting the same sample. One's an A, one's a B, one's positive, one's negative. It was a strange one. Very rarely happens, but something obviously was wrong, which sort of doesn't give you a lot of confidence 
in the system, does it? The, the anti-doping system at all, whether it be UCAD or VADA. It does, it does make you wonder. And then you get this, and it's like, uh, I mean, he's obviously pleading his innocence, but it's for her time. Um, I don't know. A week before the fight, Eddie's absolutely sure, dead certain. He got the call at 2 a.m. in the morning on the Saturday. He didn't tell Joshua till 7 and then broke the news straight away. He didn't hold back and he cancelled the fight instantly. He didn't make the same mistakes he did with Connor. But the same question is always there, Sean, is, you know, with fighters that are testing positive for anything, there's something not quite right. Because whether they've taken it, normally, from what I gather, I'm guessing these fighters, what they would do is they would take it a few weeks before so they could train hard. And then by the time they're tested, it's out of their system. Hence why some of the readings are so low. And then there's the other side of you where you think maybe it's maybe it's not a pillfall. Maybe it's like what Connor said. It's it's or that or you kind of said that it was food or it's, it's it's matched with food or that's why these findings are coming through. But who's your dietitian? You know what I mean? Who they should be looking at that and saying, look, do you know what? If you eat too much of this, then this might come through and your fight's going to get cancelled. There has to be some form of responsibility for the fighter. If you're finding stuff that it shouldn't be in your system, somewhere along the line, someone has let you down or you've let yourself down. It can't be a coincidence for this to keep happening, Sean. If you're an athlete and you get yourself, you're in a situation where you're in all these millions. I mean, he's a few bob with fury. He should have a good dietitian. He should have a team around him that's checking what he's eating, what he's taking, and there should be no problem. Why are other fighters not having this problem? I'm not saying, I'm not naive to suggest that these guys are not doing it. Maybe they're just a bit more clever and not getting caught. But somewhere along the line, fighters have got to take responsibility. If you're finding this shit in your system, something's not quite right. And it's the third time. So, something it's suspicious, isn't it, Sean? Either that or the other, the other flip side of it is what people are suggesting. Is that people are um, sort of doing certain things and 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 putting stuff in people's drinks to make them foul test to cancel fights. I mean, that's 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 out there, isn't it? But it's, it's a possibility. Who knows? But look, I just think as a fighter, you should know what you're putting in your body. If someone's giving you a drink, you make sure you know what the bloody hell it is. I can't even say any more on the matter, to be honest with you, because, you know, it becomes too scientific from my knowledge I'm not, of it. Exactly, we're not even scientific, but you've got, as a response, you know, the responsibility is yours though, Sean, isn't it? You're an athlete, it is. mate. You've got millions. That's your responsibility, isn't it? it and you know the test. You know it, You know what's on the list. It's, you've, you've got to take some sort of responsibility. And again, another fighter comes out and says, I'm shocked, I'm devastated. And, I, and, and I've got no shadow of a doubt that I have not tried to cheat. But it's in your system. So you see, someone who's letting who down is, Sean? Either the fighter, the team around the fighter, or are the anti-doping systems not getting it right? What is it? Well, it's a big question, that. And I don't think we'll ever truly get an answer to it. And no matter how much we sit and moan about it and, and not be happy with the situation, I just don't think we'll ever get that level of transparency over it. Because if people are really cheating and going through those cycles of taking those PEDs and trying to get them out of the system in time for when they're tested, some of them are not doing a very good job of it. People are letting them down, as you've rightly already pointed out. Uh, and then there's those guys that are legit who, who don't ever take any performance-enhancing drug at all. And 
it just leaves a bit of a mark on the sport in general because then people start to wonder, well, why the bloody hell am I bothering, you know, watching this sport if all it is is just a bunch of cheats? Because that's all it has is a negative effect on the on the sport. And those that are genuinely talented fighters that are trying to get into the sport and build a reputation, you know, they're already coming into a sport with a big skid mark on it over drugs testing and, you know, people taking certain PEDs to... And, enhance their performances in training and make them a better fighter without being naturally able to do it and it just it just puts that big huge skid mark on the sport again it's just a situation and it it, it ruined the event in in my eyes i'm glad the event was saved as a whole but it just kind of ruined the 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 drama that was potentially going to be around it i mean would you have seen the same anthony joshua in the aftermath, if he would have stopped Dillian White, would he have done the same things? Would he have performed the same way? Do you know, there's so many questions, isn't there? And answers that we're never going to get as a result of this change now. It's just, uh, it just creates a whole different trajectory of, of where Joshua goes and what happens to White in the future. But I don't want to stay focused on, on this particular fight and this solely because... Let's talk about a brilliant fight from over the weekend and one that I know you were so excited about. And when we first recorded the preview, we talked a lot about the Navarati and Valdis fight. And, and you said on that episode, which I weren't able to replicate on the second recording, was that you said it was going to be an all-out Mexican war between these two guys. And it it was. It was fantastic. It was a brilliant fight. And Navarati hasn't looked the greatest in his past couple of performances and people have started to doubt Navarrete. Oh my God, he put on a clinic. And to Valdez's credit, he continued to fire back even though he was soundly beaten in the fight. He continued to make the fight look so competitive even though it kind of felt quite one-sided. It was excellent. It was it was what we needed given what we'd seen throughout the week and the issues with PEDs and Dillian White we needed something like that to bring us back after having such a good couple of weeks prior to that incident with Dillian White, with Spence and Crawford, and obviously with Inoue and Fulton. It, it was starting to feel like, yeah, we're starting to get back to normal service when it comes down to boxing. And it feels like the Navarrete and Valdez fight just kind of balanced out the equation just a little bit, didn't it? It did. It did. And it was obvious. It was it was only going to go one way. Two Mexicans in the ring. Um, obviously... A, a, a Mexican crowd cheering on for whatever Mexican fight they want to cheer on but you know we all it's, it's inevitable two Mexicans step into the ring you cannot go into the ring and box like Shakur Stevenson did against Valdez it's not good enough for them they don't like that that's just not what they do that's that's not how they 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 fight and and you have to put on a show you have to and and it was a great fight it really was I actually thought it'd be better and then when I found out Navarrete actually hurt his hand sort of early in the fight I, I could you could see it afterwards you realize actually do you know what if he hadn't averted his right hand i think it would have been a better fight because he wouldn't have been as reserved at times it was like when he was in control like he was always in control of the fight and always felt that Navarrete would be the guy to come through but i never out, out never completely outruled valdez knocking him out because of the fact that Navarrete is gonna want to go in and exchange and I think when he, he hesitated, would I have to say he hesitated, he just took a, he's in control, he's taking a step back and then Oscar come back at him. And what he did really well now, right, is he came back at Valdez, didn't he? And he made sure he won that round. And it was pretty much how it was going. And Valdez was always on the receiving end of a defeat. But he was always in there. As you say, Sean, he always had the chance. And 
and it was a, it was a great fight. It was it was an excellent fight. We said on on that recording that this would be the fight of the weekend, and it was. And it is a potential for a fight of the year. I do feel that if never right, he hadn't hurt his hand, Sean, I think it would have been an absolute classic, and it would be everyone be screaming for this to happen again. I don't know if it will. I think it may do down the line at some point. Um, but I don't know. I, I do wonder if Navarrete is a tall guy, isn't he? I mean, how he makes the weight, I don't know. I do wonder if he's, he, he might move up very soon. But tremendous. As you say, Sean, you know, that's what it's all about. That's why we tune in to watch boxing, especially if you know you know two Mexicans are going to fight each other. You know how it's going. And they did what they exactly what we expected them to do, which is great. And it's not always what we expect in boxing. No, it's not. Well, on that same card, I really enjoyed Richard Torres Jr. getting his first round KO. Emiliano Vargas got a really good KO in the second round as well. They were a couple of standouts from that particular card. But going back to the Joshua Hellenius card, talking about another fighter who we spoke about in our recording for the preview was David Chisora and his fight with Gerald Washington. Now, after the Fury fight last December, we said, yeah, he needs to hang these gloves up now. It's never even more prevalent than after this fight against Washington. We said it was a fight between the British sort of heavyweight gatekeeper and the American heavyweight gatekeeper, and that's what it was. But it was bloody awful. It was awful. It was a terrible fight to watch. You know, it was a fight where you could quite easily just start flicking through your phone and start looking at what's going on and what people are saying about other things. And that's exactly what a lot of people started to do. You know, people were even talking about it on social media, saying... This is a dull fight. Chisora needs to retire. You know, Washington probably should have won that fight. And these are the sort of comments I was seeing on social media. Like, I love Derek, man. I do. I love what he's done for British boxing in his own way. I love that he's always been up there as a contender. I love that he's given people some great fights. He's given us some infamous moments. I mean, who can forget, obviously, slapping Vitaly Klitschko and spitting water in Vladimir Klitschko's face and throwing the table at Dillian White and kissing that opponent at the way in that time and, and and obviously the big fight in the press conference with David Hay. Who can forget any of those moments? I mean, they weren't great a great look for boxing, but you're not going to bloody forget them anytime soon. And he's brought a lot of different variables to this sport, but it's time to retire, man. It really is time to retire. This was, you know, if he couldn't beat Washington emphatically, he couldn't look good in beating Washington, then for me he's got to go and he didn't look good at all he didn't he didn't look great he looked very sluggish he, he his time's done his time's done for me now and and I just want to see the guy go out with his faculties intact because surely with the uh, the way he fights and the way he, he, he takes punches and some of the systematic beatdowns he started to get throughout his fights you're thinking to yourself this guy's going to end up with CTE in probably the next 10 years, it's going to be more evident. He's, he's what, he's 39, he's going to be turning 40, and he's, he's getting in fights like this with heavy hitters, and yeah, he's just taking punishment, and it's sad to see, man. It's sad to see, you know, we, he never got to the echelons of being a world champion, he's fought world champions, he's fought for world titles, he's fought ex-world champions. You know, he's a very good servant to British boxing, but it's time to go. I'm with you. We've been saying this for a while with, with Derek. It is uh, concerning that he's actually managing to still get a boxing license because, you know, he has taken several blows. He's been in several wars. And credit to the guy, he's gave us some great nights of boxing. He really has. And and we're not discrediting 
Derek in any way. I just want someone to to have a word of him. You know, even the commission surely has is still managing to get a boxing license. I suppose he's, I mean he's passing the medicals, and so I suppose you know he's it's it's here and now what you're looking at, and you're saying okay, he's passed his medical, but as you say, Sean, you look ahead and you can't help but wonder whether this guy's whether he's got to have all these faculties. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's been a tremendous servant to boxing, not just to British boxing, to boxing in general. And he has done some really ridiculously stupid things. And he will continue to do ridiculously stupid things, no doubt. If anything, it's probably going to get worse. But look, he, he's, he's, he's entertaining. But I mean, I said that anyway, Sean, on the recording, you know, he weren't going to be up for Gerald Washington anyway. I mean, that isn't a fight that gets fire in Derek Chisora's belly. He probably went in, didn't even probably train too hard. He probably thought, I'm just going to do what I need to do and win the fight. I'm going to win it anyway. And those fights just don't motivate him. They don't. And and every time he does have the big fights, he, he falls short because he's not good enough. But he's been a great servant. He's had some great wars. Um, and But it's time for him to retire. He has to. He really does. Otherwise, something really bad's going to happen to him in the ring. I just think someone just needs to stop giving him these fights, putting them on the card, for fuck's sake. I think that's the thing, isn't it? All these years, though, Sean, not once he failed a drugs test. And you know what? I will suggest he was first to say about a straight-up 10-year ban. And you know what? He ain't, if he's going to say anything, um, that's probably the one thing I probably do agree with him. And, <laughs> and he's the guy that we're saying ain't quite all there. Um, maybe not 10 years, but it's true. How many years has he been in this sport not failed a single drugs test? Because he's never he, he's never had the need to want to do it he, he's got in and done what he needed to do yeah sometimes like you say like we've said you know a bit inappropriate sometimes probably well over the line sometimes but he's had a good go so but yeah i think this is it sean i'm with you mate i, I agree with you he just needs to stop the boxing commission needs to stop giving him a license they need to make these tests harder i think i do i agree with you on that i think it's time to it's time to go time to go now you know he, I mean, even if he did get a, didn't get a license again, he'd probably end up bloody going to another country and getting a license, like they did when they fought David Hay and they got like a Luxembourg license, didn't they, to fight? Do you remember yeah. when the the board wouldn't sanction them to take that fight? So it wouldn't surprise me if if that. I mean, do you know what it reminds me of at this stage of his career, the way he's going? Danny Williams, he's going to end up like Danny Williams. I mean, Danny Williams was still fighting years and years after. His, his moment against Tyson and then Vitaly Klitschko. And, you know, I don't even know if he's still fighting, but he was getting licenses in all these different countries and still fighting. I think even up until last year, he was still fighting. I haven't actually done a check on this, but he's the first person who comes into my head now. He's, Derek Chisora is going to end up like Danny Williams if he's not careful. And, and that's not a good place to be in. Yeah. It really isn't. So get him out of the sport, man. You know, stop stop licensing him. Tell him it's time to go. He's made some good money, man. He's got to have made some good money off this sport. He really has. He's really got to have made some great, great oh, money made, over the made years. A huge bit of money off of the the Tyson Fury fight. That exactly. should have been it. Actually, I mean, sh- surely he's had enough money to just be just plotting up and enjoying himself in the sunshine and saying outrageous things on television <laughs> and YouTube. <laughs> he's gonna get a load of hits, load of followers. I don't know. Maybe it's just something in him, Sean. Sometimes these fighters just. They just want to keep going. I don't know. It's it's a it's a weird one. Um, it, it is can't stop, and maybe he's fearful of what happens when he does stop. Yeah, maybe maybe that is. Maybe you're right. Well, another fight on the card then that we were looking forward to uh, was Philip Hugovic and Dempsey McKean. 
Now, Philippe Hergovic got the KO in the 12th round, but again, he's another fighter who's been hyped up. And we said this in our recording that we did, so forgive us, guys, and we keep saying that. It's because we talked about Philippe Hergovic in the original preview for the Joshua Hellenius fight, or the Joshua White fight at the time, and we were saying how sort of box-standard Philippe Hergovic seems now, and I felt like he should have lost to Zhang, and I've not really felt he looked that good in that fight, and that, that aura of invincibility, even though he won that fight, was taken away from him, and I th- I still think he looked really laboured in his win over Dempsey McKean, and, and fair play to McKean, because he came and took the opportunity, and you know, his experience and his, his lack of uh, opponents on his resume, a lack of sort of credible opponents on his resume going into this fight, for me, were quite evident that it was going to be a little bit of a, a struggle for him. But to be fair to him, you know, he, he played his part in the fight. However, I just think Hergovic isn't the guy that everybody thought he was. We all thought he was going to be the sort of the next generation of this heavyweight division. And I just don't see him beating any of the guys at the top at the moment or any of the guys that are around him, if I'm being honest with you. I agree. Um, he doesn't look anywhere near the sort of fight we thought he was going to be. Um, it wasn't a great performance. I know he, he eventually got the win, but yeah, he's not. He's certainly not making the same waves he was at the start of his career. And, and, and people were justifiably saying, you know, that, this guy is potentially going to be a world champion. And I mean, he's still got that IBF mandatory uh, status. He's still there. So, you know, at some point he he's going to get a title fight. Is he going to be good enough? Miles would be. I don't think he is. I don't think he is. I, I think he's way short. But you never know. I mean, he could turn it on. I don't think he will. But um, yeah, the, the, looking at previous results... You can't help but think that, um, yeah, he's just a, a, going to be a guy that sort of goes out without a whim, really. He never wins a world title and had a lot of promise. And for whatever reason, he's just not quite good enough. So I'm with you, mate. He wasn't a great performance, though, was it? It wasn't a good performance from him. And it's not the first. So, yeah, I do I do wonder where he goes. I mean, I suppose you just hang around <laughs> until he gets his shot shown, I suppose, until eventually IBF falls that fight. And then hopefully he will maybe produce a, a performance of old. Uh, just going back to Danny Williams, he fought in April this year, Sean, in Estonia, by the way. Wow. Wow. That's that's crazy. Like, I can't believe he's still fighting. This this is what I'm saying. Derek Chisora's going to end up being him if if he doesn't come out of the sport now. And the, dif- the difference between the two of them is that Danny Williams carried on fighting because of money issues. Derek Chisora doesn't have them issues. No. He doesn't. So what, why? So it's, it's, it's mad, isn't it? It, re- it really is mad. Uh, so there you go, you've heard it. As we've been recording, Johnson's had a quick look and Danny Williams, bloody hell, still fighting, man. Yes, yeah, he's fought Estonia, Albania, Germany, Kiev, Russia. It's, it's, uh, it's madness. So yeah, he's, he's globetrotting. <laughs> well, just as we saw... He win in Estonia. He did win by... Did he really? Knockout. Wow. <laughs> Against the guy who was 2-15-1. and one. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. The, the whole thing is crazy, to be honest with you. Uh, well, as I was just about to say... The last few fights, just going to briefly touch on before we come to the end of this episode. So the other fights I wanted to touch on in this episode that I watched, and you know, I'll be honest with you, I uh, I enjoyed them. I enjoyed the fights. That was Johnny Fisher's fight with Harry Armstrong. I thought that was a a really interesting fight. Fisher literally decks him in the first ten seconds of the fight. 
Armstrong comes back and puts on a, a valiant performance to take it seven rounds, but ultimately Fisher gets the win and he now becomes the Southern Area Heavyweight Champion, which I thought was great. I, I really enjoyed that particular fight. I mean, Johnny Fish is still a pretty raw novice, to be honest with you. Still got things he needs to work on. But for me, that was a, it was a really, really entertaining fight, put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm a fan of his. He's, he's, if I'm getting this right, and I do I do apologise if it's not right, he's the fellow that loves a Chinese after, isn't he, Fisher? He is, and his dad as well. And his dad, is he the Bosch, isn't it? The geezer that loves a bosh or whatever it is. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll, do you know what? I'm not going to lie. I, di- I didn't see the fight. Um, so I'm not going to pretend to suggest that, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I did watch it. I didn't, uh, my bad. I didn't quite get the chance to get my own work in there. I do know he won. And I am, I'm, I like Fisher. I, you know, in terms of the other fights I've seen of his, and like you say, he's picked up a, an area title. And look, he's he's got his dad, obviously, uh, probably doing probably better than him on social media. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, he's the whole package. I mean, he, he's been on, I've heard him a few times in a few interviews talking about his Chineses and stuff. And he seems like quite a colorful character and, um, yeah, I mean, a great victory for him. And as you say, uh, decent fight. I need to go back and watch that show. So my bad for missing that, but yeah, definitely one to keep an eye out for it. I like the whole thing around him. Not only is he doing well in the ring at the minute, but his dad and everything else is, uh, it's, it's, it's quite a good little team he's got around him. And obviously, uh, Social media and loving his dad right now. Um, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, I did see the video you sent me as well, Sean, with his dad coming down the elevator and uh, on the on on the press conference, which is quite funny. Uh, yeah, he's it all seems to be uh, going well for him at the minute. Well, he's doing well. I'm enjoying watching his rise. I'll be looking forward to seeing when he gets a, another big test in his career. That'll be very interesting to see. And Campbell Hatton as well. He actually boxed really well against Tom Ansell. And I thought the Tom Ansell fight was going to be the one that'll, that'll start to take him up a little bit more. And, you know, I'm happy that people have started to back off him a little bit because his amateur career was very limited. And because he was thrusted into that limelight so quickly, the pressure was on him. And because... He was really raw and he's still got stuff to work on. You know, he is going to be criticised. Of course he's going to be criticised and the name that comes along with it. But this was a fight where he, he, for the majority of it, he boxed pretty well against Ansel. And I really enjoyed seeing him working more on those fundamentals in the sport and actually being able to, you know, deliver some really good shots against Ansel. And he got a really deserved win against him. So I was really, really happy that Hatton got that victory. And he needs more of these fights. I think before he's ready for a huge step up in his career, I think because of his limited amateur career, he probably needs, he's had 13 fights now, he probably needs at least another six or seven because, you know, when, you got, when you're when you an amateur fighter, you can have 50, 60, 70, 100, sometimes even 400 in the case of people like Vasil Lomachenko. But someone like Hatton, who, who had limited amateur experience, needs uh, as many pro fights as he can get before he steps up. And I think they're doing things a little bit better with him now than what they did at the beginning. And I think this was a good step up at a stage where he really needed it. So I'm happy he got the win. He's learning on the job, isn't he? I mean, that's the thing with with, with Hatton. He's, he's literally learning on the job. And as you say, you could probably give him a little bit more leeway in terms of how his career goes. You can give him a few more, have a few more fights, having to learn and get the experience against guys that are going to pose him different threats before he does step up to the next level. And as you say, with, with amateur fighters, okay, Sometimes a crossover that they can struggle with. There's been some many great amateur fighters that struggle moving over to the pros. But for a guy, I mean, he's still young that hasn't had that limited experience in the in the amateurs. 
He's learning on the job, so as exactly right, Sean. I mean, you just got to give him a little bit more time, but I suppose it's the name, isn't it? Because he's Hatton, uh, people are going to criticise him. But yeah, he's definitely improving. He's definitely improving. Every time I see him, he's, he's, he's certain little tweaks he's making that, um, I mean, he's, he's one to look out for. He will. I mean, it, no, there's no one better than his dad. And his dad seems to be doing well as a trainer himself than teaching him certain things. So, and I think you can sort of see that coming through. So, yeah, it's great to see. Yeah, it is. Uh, just to round up the rest of the card then, Maisie Rose Courtney got a victory on points. And so did Brandon Scott as well. People are making a lot of Brandon Scott at the moment. And it was an interesting fight and a good step up for him against Louis Norman. And he got the victory also on that card. Now, that makes up the rest of that particular card. And we've covered the Dillian White saga. We've covered the Joshua Hellenius fight. We've covered the Navarati and Valdez fight. So that pretty much sums up this big fight reaction episode. But before we call close on the episode, I just wanted to bring everybody's attention again to the Career Profiles podcast, which is currently running again with more new episodes coming out every single week please go and look at the Career Profiles podcast feed or make sure you tune in on this main feed for all the episodes going up. We've now done six episodes that are out there at the moment. We've got a couple of two-parters out there and the most recent episode that's been released this week is Frank Bruno, one that we thoroughly enjoyed doing as a podcast because it was very personalised to us as boxing fans from that particular era. It was a really, really great sit down podcast to do and a really great story to tell so please do make sure you go and tune in to the career profiles podcast and of course the darker side of boxing and legendary nights if you haven't already heard any of those series on those podcast feeds just want to give a quick shout out to the patrons of the btr boxing podcast network as well thank you so much as always for your continued support Thank you, and we will be back with you with a new episode very, very soon on our Patreon-only specials that we like to do. We hope you are enjoying your early access to career profiles, and if you haven't checked out patreon.com yet, please do, because we do have special episodes on there that we do separately. We have early access to episodes like Career Profiles or Legendary Nights or The Darker Side of Boxing, and you can also get all the episodes ad-free. If you subscribe to that for as minimum as £1.50 or around about $2 a month, you can get ad-free versions of the episodes, and the tiers do go up. The more access you get, the more benefits you get of it, and if you really want to go one step further, you can even commission a one-off singular episode as well. Please do check it out at patreon.com forward slash BTR Boxing Podcast Network. Well, that is it for this episode. We will be back next week with a big fight preview for Usyk versus Dubai. Podcast Network.